The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 143. According to statistics from the FBI and the U.S. Census, you're more likely to die from accidentally falling than you are from hitchhiking. And if you're clumsy, that number's even higher. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today are two people who are much better skiers than I, and who both made sure I didn't die while skiing Vail the other day. My wife, Heather. Hi, everyone. And a person who skied extra slowly, my good buddy and host of the Zero to Travel Podcast, Jason Moore. You guys looked great on the slopes yesterday. I don't know. I I, I was having a hard time keeping up. <laughs> oh, please. Okay. Our first time really skiing in 13 years. Here we're with a Colorado native. He was very nice to both of us. Skied extra slow. Showed us all around Vail. We had an awesome time skiing yesterday. And speaking of the Zero to Travel podcast, today's episode is part of the first time that we're doing a double dip between our podcasts, guys. And what we did was we recorded two episodes over at the Zero to Travel podcast where Jason was the host that we talked about our 16 strategies for meeting locals. Yeah, it was um, it was a lot of fun. And I think you know, it was great to hear your stories and some of the stuff that you guys experienced and to hear your take. And yeah, I, we had a great time doing it. It's a two-parter because we covered so much in the first part, we couldn't it was going to go on forever. So we spared you spending three hours listening to one show and broke it up into a couple. Yeah. So all three of us rocked the mic for those two episodes. And we decided to then do a partner episode here on Extra Pack of Peanuts, where we dived a little deeper. Instead of giving you strategies for meeting locals, we decided to tell some of our favorite stories of when we were traveling and meeting locals. So if you want to hear the kind of the strategies and a little bit of the tips that we have for meeting locals, you want to head over to the Zero Travel Podcast, check those out. And like I said, today, we're going to then be talking about some of those experiences that we've had. One of the things we should mention at the top too, we are here in Boulder, Colorado at Jason's place. Heather and I have had a great time staying here in Boulder. Yeah, Jason has been the best host possible, Um, taking us to all of his favorite places, which are quickly becoming our favorites as well. Yeah, and the reason we're here, we are putting the finishing touches on our community Location Indie. If you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably heard about it. If you haven't, you want to go check that out because one of the things that we're doing there is helping people connect with each other. And that's basically the basis of today's episode is these connections that you make with people and how those experiences are really what make travel worth it. So check out what we're doing there if you're interested. LocationIndie.com. That's I-N-D-I-E. And before we get into the show, I do want to mention, of course... As always, this podcast is sponsored by Tortuga Backpacks. I mentioned that building connections and meeting people you might not normally meet are some of the best parts about travel and about life in general. Wouldn't you say, guys, there's unexpected friendships that spring up that just come about sometimes organically. 
arguably the best part about travel. I mean, of course, when you see some of these sites like Machu Picchu or, you know, Angkor Wat, you're just in awe. But then it's really the people around you that can make the everyday experience of travel really special. Yeah. And I've been able to build a connection with Fred, who is the founder of Tortuga Backpacks. He is a great guy. We met because we both love travel. He came on the podcast. You probably heard him on this podcast. And it's just been really cool because you guys have been buying Tortuga backpacks up in droves. This partnership has been even better than I ever imagined and than he ever imagined. So I just love that our podcast here, Heather, at Extra Pack Pants, and you guys as our community can help support a small business that is really focused on building a quality backpack for people to have better travel experiences. So if you are looking for a new backpack, head on over to tortugabackpacks.com. You can put in the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capitals. You get 10% off your purchase. You know, I've enjoyed Fred's new podcast too. You might want to mention that's, that. That's true. If you're looking for even more travel podcasts, if Zero to Travel and Extra Pack of Peanuts is not enough for you, they are doing a, a travel podcast as well called Power Trip. Love that name. Yeah, you can check that out. Um, you can find that on iTunes or however you're listening to this podcast as well. So what we're going to do today, we're going to get into our favorite experiences, finding and hooking up with locals across the globe. And each one of us has two experiences. So we're going to share six total stories here. And of course, ladies first, Heather, I want you to tell these guys one of your favorite experiences of how we are able to meet locals. Well, I'm honored to go first, and I'll try to keep it quick because I know as the host of two popular podcasts, you and Jason can tend to be a little lengthy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> are you saying we talk a lot? <laughs> in in the best possible way. Well, let's see. We've had two long car rides together, I guess, but we rode up to Vail and back yesterday. Did we... Did we have some good conversation uh, yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, you we guys, can talk. That's yeah, true. We'll you admit can that. talk. I mean, that's what makes you such great hosts. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, before the show, I was thinking of some of our best experiences that we've had with locals. And, you know, we kind of alluded to some in the podcast on Zero to Travel. But I think... One of my favorites, and I guess I could start with one of the best, is the time that we spent in Tuscany just in October. And I know I did write about it on the blog. So maybe if you've read that post, this might be a little bit of a repeat. But Travis and I stayed at a farmhouse in Tuscany for two weeks. Two weeks. And we just had an absolutely amazing time. Yeah, One of the strategies we mentioned of how to meet locals is by renting apartments. And we happened to rent this great place on Airbnb and we just became friends with the hosts. They stayed there the whole two weeks. We were in a separate apartment than they were, but was on the same property and they just did some amazing things for us. Yeah, the property was set up. It was really, really rural out on a dirt road. And honestly, we thought we were going down the wrong road when we finally arrived because it was so remote. And it has a big house. It has three bedrooms. And then it has a farmhouse, which is connected to it, but closed off to be a separate apartment. And we stayed at the farmhouse and David and Francesca, the owners, were staying in the main house. And, you know, they had said to us in the beginning, you know, they gave us a tour and welcomed us and gave us, you know, a bottle of their own olive oil and fresh flowers, just so hospitable. And they said, you know, we might be here for a couple of days or we might, you know, go to the shore for a couple of days, whatever. But it ended up that they spent the whole two weeks weeks there, hanging out with us sometimes, making us meals. I mean, Travis, the first night you went over there to just ask them a question over to their house. and Yeah, this story has so many parts because we had so many good experiences. I went over the first night and asked them where we could go to get dinner because it was getting to be dinner time and we were in this really rural area. 
And they said, oh, well, you know, it takes like 15 minutes to get to any restaurant. Why don't you just eat here with us tonight? And we thought, well, actually, we just got here. Yeah, I mean, we got there on a Thursday and it was the Friday that you went over there. And I was just like still in the apartment, just like reading. And you had gone over to ask them a question. An hour later, you came back over to our side of the place with a glass of wine and said, listen, we just got an invitation to dinner come on over like this is gonna be great so they made us this traditional italian dish called ribolita which is just kind of like a farmer's dish they said with lots of vegetables and like soaked in bread like a stew almost and it was so delicious and we hung out the whole night and we drank wine and just and then they said to us well you need to come over tomorrow night for a real Italian dinner, as if, Chase, like, that wasn't enough, just that ribolita meal. And so we were like, no, it's okay, it's okay. Like, please, but, you've done too much already. And, you know, they, they just They wouldn't insisted. take no. They would not take no for an answer. So we go over the next night, and they have indoor, in our kitchen, in their kitchen, and outside, they had these stone fireplaces like yeah like a cooking barbecue fireplace just in in the in the kitchens and yeah. then outside so, so david is cooking all types of meat i mean meat for like 12 people a whole chicken sausage turkey um uh, what ribs, else is, yeah all, just, like any meat you can imagine he had on this fireplace they made us potatoes it was just a feast so in the first Two nights we were there, basically. We had two meals with them. And, you know, they wouldn't let us bring anything. They were giving us wine. I mean, it was great. We just had a fantastic experience talking with them. And they said, would you like to learn how to make pizza? Like real Italian-style pizza. And, of course... Yeah, that's I our mean, favorite food. And on the pictures on Airbnb, they kind of, you know, allude to the fact that they have this beautiful outdoor fireplace. And, you know, it's like a, a pizza oven. And... So we'd known that it could have been an option, right? So then they invited us to to do it. And, you know, David prepared all of the ingredients. We met them. We helped them make the dough. Made the dough. Had the dough rise for three hours. In the meantime, we're like building the fire in the oven because it takes like three hours to heat up to the right temperature. All this stuff. It was just, again, such a surreal experience that you just can't get anywhere else. And you couldn't feel more local or more authentic because... You're just here with like real Italian, a real Italian couple teaching you real Italian cooking. I heard this story the other night and I couldn't wait to record this podcast because I I wanted to hear it again. I wanted to hear more details (laughs) and I just wanted more and more because just imagining being in this farmhouse in Tuscany and, and like getting the opportunity to go through the entire pizza making process it was in Italy awesome. with Italian people and then to sit down and have wine with them and eat pizza and like hear their Italian accents and yeah. like just have that that experience I mean it was fantastic it's, it, it's like an advertisement for Airbnb I mean we couldn't have had a better experience and Heather left off even the best part because after they gave yeah. us those three meals they happened to give us a fourth meal and this was a bit lucky for us because it was Heather's birthday and we were supposed to go to Prague. And instead of going to Prague, she said, I'd really like to stay here because we were having such a good time in the Tuscan farmhouse. And so when I went to ask if we could extend our stay for three days, I told Francesca, who was the hostess, that we were staying because it was Heather's birthday and we were having such a good time. And lo and behold, Francesca's birthday and Heather's birthday are the exact same day, October 29th. Which you at first thought was maybe just a miscommunication or something. Like you couldn't believe that when you said it's Heather's birthday and Francesca said, me too, you thought... Right. I mean, their English was good, but sometimes stuff got lost in translation. So I thought maybe she didn't understand me. No, it turns out it was her birthday. And so we said, oh, we should all go out to eat together or something. 
And David, the host, would have none of that. He he was like, there's no way I'm cooking guys a real birthday dinner. So, I mean, tell them what we got for your birthday. Yeah. I felt so blessed and so special that we could, first of all, be in Tuscany in this amazing atmosphere for my for my birthday. And when we got the invitation, we said, oh, please let us make dessert or let us bring something. And they were like, no, don't bring anything. And I was like, okay, we're definitely going to bring some Prosecco. So we picked some up in Florence and we walk into their house and just like to set the scene. Of course, it's a beautiful farmhouse in the the countryside like we've already established but they have their formal dining room set up with the most beautiful place settings and you know david's a painter and he had like an easel like he just finished painting it was like so idyllic you couldn't even there was a fire roaring in the fireplace all their crystal ware was out and then they brought out the food the prosecco's flowing we're all having great time just chatting generally just getting to know each other even more and you know then david made an appetizer it was like like foie gras on a, you know, little crusty. bruschetta thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't some recipe know. <laughs> he came up with. Then he brings out like the lasagna, but of course, that's only the first course. Then he brings out these pork chops with ham and cheese, and they're breaded somehow. I don't even know what this stuff was. Yeah. But every time he brought out a course, it was better and better and better. And then they brought out dessert that Francesca had made, and it was like a chocolate ganache with a homemade cream, you know, whipped cream and like a berry compote. It was just so amazing. I couldn't even believe that this was my birthday and that it was Francesca's birthday. And, you know, it's Italy, right? So the food's amazing. The wine is great. It's cheap. They had bought just this table wine at one of their local places where, in, you know, Italy, you can go and fill up a whole, Inotecas. yeah, like a whole big barrel almost of wine. And, you know, it's just, such a great night. I think I see Jason salivating <laughs> over there. I'm getting very hungry. We haven't been eating much for lunch today, and you guys are making me starving hearing all this Italian food. And I mean, one of the cool things, you guys were staying there for a while, right? I mean, we should have added this into our tactics for meeting locals is slow travel because you really slowed it down, just got to spend some time here. And consequently, you were able to connect, really connect with these people that were hosting you. To the point of, obviously, you've had these incredible meals and experiences. Yeah, if we would have stayed at a hotel or we would have come through a city in three days, you know, we could have had a good experience, but nothing to the extent that we did. And I think that's why it's the top thing on Heather's list when it comes to us actually meeting locals and digging into the culture and just having these authentic travel experiences. Chase, you've had quite a few. Why don't you share with us one of yours? Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, after hearing all of that, and I am salivating right now here as we speak into the microphone, so let me let me dry that off for a second. It, it comes down to a lot of food experiences as well, and I'm going to share a food experience that we had, uh, my wife and I, Anna Dorta. We weren't married at the time, but we were traveling in Vietnam uh, a couple summers ago. I wish she was here to tell the tale with me because she's she's flying over here to the States, but she's just... I don't know, maybe 48 hours away from actually being here. So I'll have to do my best to represent this. But we were in Vietnam in this town called Hue. And it's spelled H-U-E with an apostrophe over it. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm not known for my Vietnamese speaking skills. But we had taken an overnight bus down there, which is, if you've ever taken any overnight buses in Vietnam, like the local buses, it's it's a crazy experience. So it's definitely the worst bus I've ever been on by far. 
there aren't seats. There are these almost like cubbies on the ground. So I'm actually going to demonstrate and sit down in front of these guys here. You sit down like the seat and then you have this cubby in front of you that kind of, it's like a little cover that covers your feet, but it's not even that far in front of you. So you're just like... So you can't lay down. You're not laying down and you're not sitting down. So you don't have the comfort of sitting upright or reclining and you're not laying down either. You're just kind of like in this in-between land. And it's like a double-decker style. So you have seats like that at the bottom and then seats like that above you at the top. Now, they're not known for their, I guess, patience for waiting in line. So we had tickets and everything. When we went to get on the bus, the bus pulled up and it was like, a mad rush of people. We had strategized in the beginning. When there's two of you, this is another big benefit of traveling as a couple. And I'm, I'm getting into the story here in a minute, but this is the journey to away just to get to this point, just to set it up. So I was like, I'll put our luggage underneath. You just get on and get a seat. So I send the, the five foot one Norwegian girl to battle the fight, the good fight to get a seat. So she gets on the bus and it's just like a madhouse to the point where she she's she's pretty tough, you know. She grew up on a farm, so she starts like elbowing people, takes her shoe off, and throws it across the bus to like land in a seat to save the seats for us, and then like scrambles over and like people are everywhere because otherwise you just end up sleeping on the floor. And then there's a whole other thing with the bathroom, and you can't wear shoes into it, so you have to put the shoes in there that are. It's quite a scene. Anyway, so when we arrived... You're really the, that selling. Sh- that should be the local experience in and of itself, <laughs> well, I it, think. it was. But we're talking about magical local experiences. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, we, we arrived in Hawaii and we were pretty darn tired, you know? So, we had rented some bikes. And they, they do have great hospitality in Vietnam. We actually stayed at a hotel. It was pretty affordable. When you walk in, it's like nice and air-conditioned. And they give you fresh juice every time you walk into the lobby. You're like, oh, this is so nice. They give you like cold rags and fresh juice. So we rent these bikes, we start cruising them around, and we're just cruising around the city. And all of a sudden, there's a one point day, we start to get hungry, so we're kind of looking for a place to eat, and we pull up. We're just the great thing about bikes too is you're kind of can go in these random neighborhoods and just wherever. We pull up in front of sort of like a house, but maybe we're not sure if it's just, you know, because some of the restaurants in foreign countries, you're not sure if it's a restaurant or just somebody's house because it's just... It's usually both or sometimes both. Yeah, exactly. So we didn't think it was a restaurant, but maybe it took us a second to realize this. So we pulled up in our on our bikes and I don't know what happened. It was this weird moment. I just like all these people were eating, these Vietnamese people. There was like eight of them. And I like, made eye contact with them and I was just like standing on my bike like right outside of their house basically kind of waiting for Anna Dorta to pull up behind me and they were looking at me and they just like all looked at me and I looked back at them and all of a sudden they just like waved us in and so we were like okay and then we're parking our bikes and I'm like Anna Dorta is this a a restaurant? She's like, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, well, I'm like, well, we're just going with this. So we park our bikes, we walk in and it's just the family barbecue. It's just their family having a barbecue on Sunday and they just invite us to sit down at the table. So they don't re- really speak any English at all. And we're just these foreigners, you know, <laughs> just cruising around. You speak so no we, Vietnamese, obviously. No Vietnamese. So we just sit down and they just start like feeding us every dish that they have. They have all these different dishes. So they're like kind of trying to explain it to us, putting it in front of us, letting us try it. I, I can't even go into detail of what we ate, you know, but we just tried everything. They gave us stuff to drink. 
two of the younger boys spoke a little bit of English, so there was some words exchanged. But for the most part, it was just like them kind of like looking at us like, what did you think of that one? And us being like, oh, that's really good. That's really good. Like thumbs up or, or whatever. And just like trying all the different foods and just hanging out with them for like, I don't know, probably an hour and a half, maybe an hour at the family barbecue and just so kind, like had us in, we were there. And what a great way to try a bunch of different Vietnamese dishes at a Vietnamese family barbecue on a Sunday afternoon. We were like 99% sure it wasn't a restaurant, but we didn't want to offend them by not offering them money either. But then we felt weird about that because we felt like we were just guests. So we did end up saying something like, you know, can we give you something for this? They were like, no, no, obviously you're just our guest kind of thing, you know, with their body language. And we just went on our merry way. And I remember pulling away on the bikes and they were all like standing up waving to us. and We were waving goodbye. And it was just one of those awesome things. Yeah, something that you could never recreate if you tried. And again, it's, it seems to be that a lot of these experiences happen over food and drink. And I think that just harkens back to some of the, the tips that we gave on the Zero to Travel podcast of how to meet locals. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, being open to the situation like you guys were. You could have easily just went away like, oh, they waved you and you're like, no, 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 it's okay. You know, when you realize that it was not a restaurant and just gone. But now you have that awesome experience that you couldn't recreate if yeah. you had ever tried. It was amazing. One of the most interesting experiences, speaking about being open, is for me, when I went to this festival in Misakabo, Japan, which is this tiny little town. So Heather and I, when we lived in Japan, lived in a suburb of a, what they call not a big city. It's still like a million people. And we lived in this suburb, but then north of us, it got really rural. Like we were kind the of the Japanese Alps north of us. Yeah. So. We were the last bastion of civilization, right? Before you got into the Inaka, which means the rural area. And so Misakabo is this town up in the middle of nowhere. And we had just gotten there about a month prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause this was in September and we'd arrived in the end of July. Yeah. And another English teacher had said to me, Hey, there's this festival that goes on up in Misakabo. It's really famous. And um, the whole town gets out and they pull these crazy big floats. I mean, there's like a hundred people will pull a float. So each little neighborhood in this town has their own float. Mind you, this town probably has 3,000 people maximum in it, yet they have neighborhoods. And so there's probably like a hundred people in each neighborhood. There was about 30, 20 to 30 different floats. Is, in, is that typical of Japan to divide neighborhoods like that? Yes. And each neighborhood will have, they'll always have festivals. That's one of the best things about Japan was the fact that they had festivals all the time. Anytime you visit Japan, you're likely to run into some type of festival somewhere in, in the country. It's such a cool atmosphere there with all their, their, they really get into it. Yeah. We had a little festival place right down the road from where we lived, like three houses down where they stored their huge float for our little neighborhood and they'd always have like kids in there taking drumming practice and it was just really really neat so this english teacher that i knew shauna says to me hey i went to this festival before and there is a retired english teacher who lives up there he used to teach at the high school up there and he loves having foreigners up and participating in this festival because what you do is each little neighborhood has a float and you go around and you dress up in characters and you perform a skit so they were doing something with like Admiral Perry, like this skit, and they wanted us to come up. And I assumed like I would be Admiral Perry then, the white person. 
No. Who's Admiral Perry? He's the guy who came to Japan who like opened up Japan to the West. Like he was the first foreigner to kind of come there and, and open Japan up. I assumed I would be Admiral Perry, you know, being a white male who was coming to this festival. No, I was just actually dressed up as a Japanese person, so they painted my face black. This is a whole nother story, and I was wearing like a gold robe. Again, I don't know. The whole point is that you're supposed to put on some skit, and the Admiral Perry was a Japanese guy. So there's like 30 of us, and there was about four or five foreigners who, who had gone up. Wish It was Shauna and me and then three other people. And we go up to Sign Town. We spend the whole weekend there. And it was amazing because I never would have known this exists. I never known, would have known this town was there. Tourier Sensei, who was the guy who put us up, just loved meeting foreigners. He, you know, he had spoken English. His whole dream in life was to open up his house as like an international hostel up in Musakabo. So he was like building a whole new house just so he could have foreigners in. But we were staying in his really old house. You know, he, everything was super traditionally Japanese. Like we'd wake up and we'd have miso soup in the morning, you know, and the festival itself, we pulled these floats up and down these hills in the Japanese Alps and these floats are super heavy. I mean, you know, we're talking tons like, and there's like 10 people standing on each float. And so the whole town comes up and is pulling on these, on these ropes. It's just, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And it was such a cool experience to be there for that weekend and be in, you know, in that community and in their biggest celebration of the year. And you'd walk around and people would tell you, you know, stop pulling the rope for now. Come into my house and drink some sake with me. So you're like, well, all right. So you kind of just pulled and then left and would go party with some people in their house, then come back out, pull some more. And it was it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. But what was interesting about it was about the decision to do it and be open was that weekend as well, Heather and a bunch of our friends who were teachers were going into Tokyo for basically the first time as a, as a whole group. And I had to decide whether I was going to go to this small festival in Misakabo or I was going to go with our other friends to Tokyo. Yeah. And, you know, again, as a married couple or somebody who travels together a lot of the time, this was one of the first times where we'd kind of said, you know, we've just moved to this country. I was a little apprehensive about kind of splitting up with Travis. We didn't even have two phones yet. We only had one phone. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to Tokyo with everyone and you go up into the mountains, you do your thing and, and I'll do my thing. And it, it ended up being really fun for both of us in different, different So ways. wait, I, explain the skit to me. I can't even explain it because I don't know what the point was. It was supposed <laughs> to be a skit about Admiral Admiral Perry coming to Japan, but you don't like don't talk to during the skit. And like some of the other neighborhoods were putting on skits where like guys were dressed up as teenage girls and pretended that they were like a singing group. It, it's just basically like go do anything crazy. What an awesome experience you had to be in a festival like that on the local level. Yeah, and it was cool because that day, like we went and we got the costumes. And so the, the people of this neighborhood had made the costumes. And so we got the costumes. Now they use them like year after year for whatever skit. Like this gold robe would have been used, who knows, for what the next year or the year before. <laughs> right. But we also then got makeup done. So I had to go to a Japanese like beautician in town. And basically <laughs> she just smeared black paint on my face. And it was, again, it was about three days where I understood about 10% of what was going on yeah. for the whole time, but it didn't matter. And they, and they were, like I said, they just pull you into their homes and be like, come drink with us, come eat with us during the festival. And then you'd go and, and, and then during the festival itself, like you'd be pulling the rope and you'd be standing next to someone, and everyone would be chanting. 
So, you know, I probably interacted with 2,000 of the 3,000 people in town during that weekend. And when I say interact, I mean hand gestures and broken Japanese. But. Yeah. Well, we you mentioned we were up in Vail recently skiing and I really enjoyed on on the car ride up hearing the stories from you guys from the, your time teaching in Japan because you had so much in-depth knowledge on all of these weird, quirky, local Japanese cultural things that were happening that I've just never heard of. Like the school you worked at had a, a marathon every year that they, they made the kids run and just all this crazy stuff. It was just, I don't know. It was, it was really neat to hear uh, all, all of those subtle things that if you were just passing through as a traveler, it just takes time to, to, to learn those things. It certainly does. And Japan is a culture. I think if you can scratch away some of the surface and go a little deeper using some of the tips that we taught you in, in Jason's podcast about how to really, you know, get the local vibe, it is a fascinating, fascinating country. Well, we mentioned, you know, asking for help in the tips in Jason's podcast. And in Japan, everyone and anyone will help you. They are so friendly and so helpful. You could be standing there looking dazed and confused and somebody who wants to practice their English, you know, will come up to you and say, can I help you? You know, so you can have a lot of interaction with Japanese people because mm-hmm. they're so friendly. Yeah, and there's so many stories that we have with the local things. Like we said, we're each going to give you two of our favorites. So Heth, why don't you go into your second one? But we have like honorable mention one. I mean, we could do a whole... 10 podcasts on crazy local experiences we had in Japan alone. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. But I guess, you know, for the sake of not boring our readers or listeners, we will um, continue on. So my second best local experience, it was something that happened to Travis and I both when we were in Bali. We went to um, Ubud, which is in the center of the island and it's more like in the jungle and amongst the rice fields. And this was the first time we went there. So this was a couple of years ago, not the most recent time. And we had rented a motorbike and this was kind of coming off the time where we both crashed our motorbikes in Thailand, like not that long before. So we were both a, a little gun bit shy. gun shy, a little bit wary. And Travis was, you know, driving the bike and I was behind the, for the first time kind of feeling nervous. Like is Travis going to crash this bike Again. with me on it? So we ventured outside of Ubud and just kind of found these like rural roads and we passed by this temple, you know, you pass by a million temples, but this one, there was no one at it kind of looked abandoned and we're like, Hey, let's just get off the bike for a little bit and, and check out this temple. So we're wandering around the temple and there's a guy, a Balinese guy, an Indonesian guy with a big water bottle on his head, like a three or four gallon, five was gallon, a, one of those five gallon five water gallon. Tanks that you know you have when you have water delivered to your house, and he had it on top of his head. And at the was it empty? It was empty at first, and right. we were kind of looking out. This temple overlooked these amazing rice fields, and so up to the right was this you know seven hundred dollar a night hotel that had the best views in Ubud of the rice fields. And here we were standing just overlooking it. Yeah, but I think you're misremembering it. Like we didn't even know those rice fields existed, right? Because we saw this guy with the water jug on his head. And he's kind of like looking at us and he doesn't really speak any English at all. And he's kind of just like the same thing that happened to you, Jason, like just 
waving at like motioning for us to follow him and we're like what does this guy want like this is kind of strange but we're like okay well whatever we'll like follow him down this little little trail and then as we were following him we got to the opening where all of these rice fields were and we just kind of trekked down this mountain where there wasn't really even a trail like a teeny tiny little footpath and we go all the way down to the bottom where the rice fields began and he shows us this spring this well of like super fresh water where he filled up his five gallon jug and put it on the top of his head and hiked back up the mountain. Right. And what was crazy is, you know, he brought us down the rice fields. like, oh, this is really neat. And then he was like motioning to us further towards like the entrance of a, a, a kind of a cave, like where it got darker. And we're thinking, all right, well, like he seems very nice and smiley, but why are we going to this dark cave like area? And it was really just where the spring was. And he was showing us like, this is where I get my water every day. And he filled up his five gallon jug, as Heather mentioned, puts it on his head. And then we have to scramble at, up the mountain and it's kind of muddy and like we're having hard times. We're in sneakers and, you know, we're kind of like crawling our way up this footpath. And here he comes just in essence running up the mountain with the five gallon jug on his head. Balancing him. Yeah. yeah. And he's like helping us out, like helping like kind of push us up the mountain. <laughs> it was wild. And he gets to the top and he has another jug with him on his motorbike. Like he had two, I guess. Hmm. And, and what he kind of explained to us how we understood it was that he did this every day he would go down and he would fill up these two jugs that's what he did every day and then we'd go back to his town and he would like sell the water so his job was every day to go down there and fill up the water and hmm. uh, the jugs and sell it but it was totally serendipitous i mean we had no idea there were the rice fields there as heather mentioned yeah and i mean we climbed down the mountain with this indonesian person and then we just look out over this vast landscape of rice fields where there aren't any other people because you can go to the really famous touristed rice fields that are, you know, to the northeast of Ubud and there's just tons of tourists and yeah. people taking pictures. And you had it all to yourself. And this place we had all to So we to called ourselves. our secret our secret rice fields. We're actually doing a a post on the site of like how to find it and where to get to it. The reason we know it's so awesome, well, we knew it was awesome when we went there, but now we went back two and a half years later, they've built a $400 a night, like private, not condos, like little private apartments, villas, I guess they call them, overlooking where we had first stayed. They're small. There's only 10 of them, so it's not a big deal. And they have put in like a much nicer footpath to go down yeah, there. Yeah, like they have stones and stuff. So like it's actually steps. a lot easier to get down there now. You discovered but, it before it was discovered. Yeah. Right. But, but it's, it's still not discovered. Yeah, so I mean, you to can, find it, you'd have to know to turn there, which it's a tiny path even to get down there. So it's kind of... It, we were a little bummed when we saw this new building there. Like, oh no, they've they've ruined what, what was our secret little rice field. And yet... It does just make it easier to climb up and down. Um, we did not see the guy the second time. We were hoping we'd run into him. I've always wanted to have the ability to carry things on my head in a graceful manner. Can't do it. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> so, Jay, so that, that's us. We're in Ubud. So, Heather's two favorite and two of my favorite, Ubud and Tuscany. Just having these really cool local experiences. What's another one that you've had? I don't know where to begin with this story, but... The hitchhiking experience I had in Scotland last year, uh, my buddy Gary, good friend of mine, and just just a great guy, he organized a hitchhiking race in Scotland, and it was teams of two racing around the perimeter of Scotland, and it was just a grassroots thing. We weren't like, 
it wasn't like some formal event, you know, it was just organized through a Facebook group. I'm like, this sounds pretty awesome. So I decided to do a fundraiser around it, which made it extra cool and also less scary because it gave me more motivation to kind of complete it. So we, we, we were able to tell the story when we got rides and people were really kind to, to feel like they were helping out. You know, before anybody knew any of this or we were in a race or anything, you have to get to the point where you're standing outside. It takes a lot of energy to hitchhike if you haven't done it in the sense that you got to be on the side of the road giving off a lot of good energy all the time because you have like a split second for somebody to decide if they're going to stop and get you or not. So they're literally judging you like as they're going yeah, by. First impression, not even a first impression. Yeah, it's like a it's like half, a half a first a impression. And within that little short amount of time they're going to decide if you're somebody that they should pick up the stories just from the overall reason why i'm painting the picture of the overall race is because the entire experience as a whole was one amazing experience of just meeting local after local and getting uh, so many things just from people being kind you know from a woman who owned a cafe in one town who took us to the cafe and like just said, order whatever you want off the menu. And we just ate whatever food we wanted. There was another woman that drove us 45 minutes on her regular commute on, on a Sunday. So she has to drive like 45 minutes to work. We were going that way. She wasn't. She was like in the town that she lives in. So she made the commute she, that she makes five days a week yes. on this on Sunday just to help you. Just get to, the to next drive point. us there to get to the next place. We were having a hard time getting out of this town. I mean, that means so much. Yeah, you know? morning commute people hate. I mean, you never want to drive yeah, that if you don't let have alone to. on a Sunday with a couple smelly strangers, right? So that happened and there was a one woman that picked us up, her name was Anka, and we were near Inverness, and we got in the car. She was actually from Poland, but was living in Scotland, and she drove us, however it was, like an hour or two down the road, and she was just so kind. She ended up taking us to her house, and her boyfriend, Jeff, made us this incredible chicken, like rice dinner. He was from Africa. It was so delicious. How whatever spices he used, or I, I don't know. It was one of the most delicious, like chicken rice type of dishes I ever had, or an, any dinner really. And so he cooked that up for us. And we met their daughter Madison, who was just probably like one of the cutest kids I've ever seen on the planet. So adorable. So they brought us in their home. We ate with them, and then after all that. She then got in the car and drove us again further to our next place, like 15 or 20 miles outside of town where she was just going to drop us off and drive back. But she drove us to where we had all these checkpoints we had to hit. So she drove us to our next checkpoint just to be kind. So, you know, I, there are other stories from that trip. Uh, I can go on and on. But um, that was a yeah really, really special experience. And talk about meeting locals, hitchhiking, which we did, again, bring up in the podcast we recorded for Zero to Travel. Definitely a way that if you want to meet locals, you know, if you do it responsibly, like you guys did through Scotland, a really cool way because you are, then you're relying on locals. Yeah. And totally. you're going to meet some cool people. Yeah, and you just get to see the generosity that people are willing to give you for nothing. It gives you kind of a nice perspective on humanity. Yeah. One thing we stress before we kind of move on from this is that, you know, if you do travel in that way, I do believe it's, uh, you know, couch surfing or anything like that, where it's like almost like an exchange where you're staying somewhere for free, you're getting a free ride or something like that. Uh, I do think it's important to give of yourself in the ways that you can. So it might not be money, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can't give of yourself in terms of providing somebody company or giving somebody a story or say you're couch surfing 
you know, somewhere you could help with the dishes or cook a meal or, you know, there's other ways you can give back. So Heather th- cooked dinner here in yeah, Boulder I mean, last night. Exactly. Stuff like that. I mean, think in terms of just, you know, it's not a, a one sided thing. You don't have to feel like a, a mooch if you're doing something like this. You can you can give back in your own way. It doesn't always have to be money. And oftentimes money's the, the least thing you could give somebody in a way, you know, if you're giving of yourself. So that was one big takeaway from hitchhiking that I learned. It's always amazing to me that the people with the least are always the most willing to give things out. And my favorite personal local experience is when we were in Coder, Montenegro, and we've told this story a few times on the podcast in bits and pieces here. But Heather and I, you know, we drove down from Dubrovnik to Montenegro on the advice of Francis Tapon, who's been a guest on this show. And he said, Coder Montenegro is awesome. And so we took his advice and we climbed up the the city, wa- the old yeah, walls, it's like the a mountain ruins. that, you know, butts up to Coder into the bay. And yeah, there's like a church and then there's ruins, like a wall that's kind of just falling apart. And you can hike all the way up. And it's not a very strenuous hike, but it's just, it's really beautiful. And, you know, we get to the top of the wall and you had read in Francis's book that, you know, he had seen a farmhouse there, up there. We had seen a church. Like, he was like, if you get to the top of the wall, there's a little cutout in the wall. Look through it, and you're going to see an old church back there. And I've slept back there because I wanted to save money, and so I slept in this old church. And so, sure enough, we, like, look through this little window. I mean, there's no glass in it. It's just a cutout. And there's this church back there, and there's this amazing valley. It, it was so beautiful. I took a video of it because it was, like slightly raining like really drizzling and you know it could have been kind of a terrible experience because we weren't really even decked out in the proper hiking gear and you know here we are in this exquisite looking green lush valley and the rain's coming down and it's so peaceful and there's not really any other people around maybe a few other hikers but yeah on the one side of the wall the side that we were on you look down and you see the bay and you see the town it looks beautiful and then you look through this little cut out and you're like, wow, this is just as amazing on the other side, but you'd never be able to see it if you didn't know to look through there because you know, there's a huge 15-foot high wall that's right. blocking you. So we basically climb through the window that's the cutout, and we hike down to the church, and it's just... And it is raining, so Francis raining. was like, it was raining, and so I stayed in this <laughs> church, and it was pouring on us, and sure enough, then another guy came in, and he was all soaked, and he had been hiking back there, and you know, he kind of changed his clothes a little bit, and we, we were just standing in this church waiting for the rain to subside, and the church was, what did it say, from the... 13th century, 1300s or something like that. I mean, crazy old church. So we're standing there and we're like, all right, so it lets up a little bit and we're like, this is a really cool experience. Let, you know, let's head back. Let's go back down to Coder. And we, we head out of the church and we're looking and there is a sign that says goat chez, like it's supposed to see, say goat cheese. <laughs> and it just like, says chez. Chez. C-H-E-S, I guess. C-H-E-S-S-E or something. Yeah. I think there's two S's and not two E's. Either way, you know, it's just like, 50 meters. And so when we were perched up looking through before, we had seen a house like far in the distance. So like, well, they can't mean that. Like that's definitely more than 50 meters. I mean, we don't know metric that well, but I know it well <laughs> enough to know. It. So, so we start walking back and for whatever reason, Heather says to me, why don't you tell them what you said to me? Because well, I don't know why she said Travis, it. Travis, of course, was deliberating like, oh, it would kind of be cool to like check out that where the goat cheese is. Like, that could be a really cool chess. I want the some chess. And, you know, but it was raining and we were hungry. And, like, we had to drive back to Dubrovnik. And it's, like, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So Travis was like, yeah, let's just keep going. And I was Indecisive like... Indecisive as always. I was like, dude, 
I bet your dad would go check that out. I don't even know why I said that, but Trev's dad's pretty Was it because you knew that he that would get him I to go? I guess. Like, I just meant like, just do it. What are you, why are you being so indecisive? Let's go. And so when I said that, you were like, I just yeah, turned around on a right. dime. I'm like, we're going back to get that chess. And so we turn around and we, and we get to the sign and we start walking up this path and it's like, there's like horse poop everywhere and it's like muddy it's like a farm yeah and, and we're like we're like walking we're like where is this house because we could see it from where we were before but we couldn't see it when we were like you know on the ground level and so we're like hiking and we finally you know we finally get to this house there's nothing around it it's all by itself and there's one lady outside and she kind of like looks at us we look at her she doesn't say anything she just kind of like walks into the well, uh, walks we, into the I house think we said like can we buy some cheese but she didn't but say like she yeah didn't. she just kind of looked at us and maybe halfway waved us on maybe we were imagining this we're like oh let's just go in so we go in and it's a one room house and there is a guy sitting at a table, a woman laying on a couch asleep. The woman who had walked in the house just had just walked in. And then another guy sitting on a chair. And on the TV was like American Idol for like yeah. Montenegro or the Balkans. I don't know. Some reality Balkan TV. Idol. I, I, who knows? And on the table, it's just a bunch of wheels of cheese. And we come in and they're like... Uh, uh, we're like, hey, and none of, no one speaks English. So Not everything really. that I'm saying that they say is more we've figured out from hand gestures. And we're just like, can we buy some cheese? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, sit yeah, down, like, sit taste, down. Taste, taste. Yeah. You know, so they invite us to sit at their table, you know, in the one room house. And it was cozy in there, though, because they had a wood stove and it was like pouring rain and we were so wet. The one we're lady like, woke up. Sure. <laughs> So, you know, we sit down and they have like all these wheels of cheese and they cut some off and we taste it. And Saying goat cheese and this is sheep cheese. So they're showing like they're giving us the different types of cheese. And then the guy asks us, he says, Rakia, which I only knew what it was because I think I'd been on Wiki Travel the night before for whatever reason from on the Negra, And they mentioned Rakia, which is basically like moonshine for the for that area. And so I was like, well. Uh, right, sure, sure. went in Montenegro, <laughs> yeah. and he gets out three glasses: one for me, one for Heather, and one for him. And he he pulls out like this really nice crystal yeah, bottle. Yeah, beautiful. And and they had had their homemade rakia, and he pours us all three shots of it. And he's telling and he us kind of like gestures, like just sip it, like don't you know, yeah. just drink it slowly, right? So we say like he teaches us how to say cheers, which I don't remember how to say. Of we have terrible and memories. Me and the guy sip it. And Heather just takes it and downs it all in one shot. <laughs> yeah, Heather. <laughs> That's because I knew I wouldn't be able to sip it because it did not taste good. And like as soon as it kind of no, like awful. touched my tongue, I was like, I just got to get this rid of this and, you know, down it and then not have to so, drink it again. It wasn't <laughs> one of those when it hits your lips. It's so no. good when it hits your lips. No, I was it's like, so just good. get it down. <laughs> Heather is literally now a superstar in this household. The women are like, whoa. The guy's like, wow. Like, yeah. You know, and then he's like, more. Like, he's going to pour her more because we're just like sipping hard. She's like, no, 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 no. It's okay. And so we stay in this house. So then me and him keep doing a little bit of Rocky. Like, he wants to keep, he keeps asking me if I want more. And I only say if. If he'll take more, I'll take more. And he didn't want to, I don't think. He kept saying he was going to get <laughs> sleepy. It's and it's really, really strong. So we stayed there here for an hour and a half. And, and because I didn't want any more rakia, like they gave me this amazing juice that we tr- turned out through our hand gestures and like 
I don't know. He showed us outside then. He there walked us outside and was explaining juice. to us what it was. And they had pomegranates growing. So it was this fresh pomegranate juice. And then, you know, another they made shot her of coffee. Yeah, another shot of Rocky for Trav. They make me fresh coffee on the wood stove, you know. And uh, we, we just ended up talking about. Well, they bring out their picture albums. Yeah. So they bring out all their picture albums and they're showing us their whole family. They're showing us their wedding pictures. They're showing us their children. Uh, their children. And, and then we're going to like a calendar and we're trying to explain to them where we had been. So like, oh, today, Montenegro, we're pointing, then Paris before Berlin, you know, and they're understanding those, mm. uh, those words, obviously, like the names of, of cities. And, and we're just, I, I don't know. I don't know how you can communicate so much without words, but mm. it was just happening. Yeah. And probably some of the rockiest speaking. <laughs> and, you know, and so we were there for an hour and a half and they- They didn't want us to leave. We kept saying, oh, it's okay. We can go. And they're like, no, no. At one point, we were trying to explain to them that we'd like to buy some wheels of cheese from them, and they understood it, but then they wanted us to talk to their daughter who lived down in Coder, in the town. So, of course, she dials up her daughter on her cell phone, gives me the phone. I'm speaking to their daughter, I think was 18 or and 19. And she spoke English. She spoke English some, so I'm telling you, like, can you please- So her daughter's just all of a sudden talking to this stranger that's at her <laughs> yes. house. Yes. yes, and who knows how often this happens. Um, and I'm like saying, we'd like to buy some wheels of cheese, and then I'd hand the mom the phone, and she'd explain, and then she'd hand it back. So this mm. went on for like five minutes. Mm. And it was just a really, it was an amazing, incredible experience because- these people were so giving. I mean, they were giving us everything. They kept, oh, more, more rakia, more juice, more coffee. And we're more like, cheese. no, no, more cheese. And so we get these wheels of cheese. And eventually we tell them, like, we have, we have to go. Travis is getting drunk on rakia. <laughs> and we have to, like, hike back down the mountain yeah. and yeah, drive. It's like an hour and a half. It's like one of those experiences you don't want to end. You're yeah. having a great time. And it's raining. And they're like, no, don't leave. They're trying not to get us to leave until it stops raining. But it wasn't going to stop raining all night. I mean, it was going to keep raining. So we eventually get ready to leave and we try to ask them, you know, how much they're trying to give it all to us for free. So we were very sly. I think Heather took money out of out of your purse yeah. and like without the like, kind of turn around and we just like put it on their little night on their little like stand right by the door so they couldn't see it. Hopefully they found it eventually. You know, we gave them like 20 euros or something. And it was just, it was just amazing. And that even when we were leaving, they were yelling to us across the valley, like, bye, bye. You know, we're like all the way halfway down the mountain. We still hear him hollering. <laughs> Honored guests. We actually, as we were making our way back through the wall, like the window cut out, we saw these other hikers who were like drenched and they were like, did you guys just come from that farmhouse? Cause they'd like seen us coming mm. across the valley. And we're like, yeah, you should definitely go and like get some cheese and they'll probably give you some rakia if you feel like warming up a little with some homemade Oh, that's booze. amazing. But, and it's yeah, just it one just of those really cool. experiences. Like we were open to it. I, I, we, we mentioned that as being the big way to meet locals, just being open to the experience. And we were so close to not doing it. And that has been one of my favorite travel experiences of all time that we've ever done because you goaded me on by telling me that my dad would do it. The power of meeting locals is, I mean, it's, you probably remember the smells there and just, you know, the ambiance. And I mean, you think about just how that is, you know, one experience like that on a trip, you'll remember for the rest of your life and you take so much away from it. And that's one of the coolest things about just spending time with other people in places like that. Who cares if you don't speak the language, right? Yeah. Well, you speak some type of language that you can communicate with. It's not yeah. really words, but you know, you, you're just able, I was Emotions, so surprised vibes. with what 
tactics we use to be able to spend two hours with these people yeah. and feel like we kind of knew about yeah. their life and they knew uh, about our life. Thing, yeah. I brought it's, a notebook out at one point and was drawing them a picture. Stick figure. Yeah, I can't draw at remember. all. <laughs> so I was like drawing them a sun and telling them like asking when it would get sunny. I don't know. You were you letting know? the Rocky come through you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's just, and that's why we travel. We mentioned a lot of it on this podcast. And the reason we wanted to record this one was because as we mentioned, we gave you all the strategies over on the Zero to Travel podcast. And we wanted to kind of double up here and do a, a sister podcast type thing where you get the strategies of how to meet locals. And here are the deep stories. Here are why we continue to travel and why we do all those strategies. Because meeting locals really is what travel is all about. I think you guys would both agree. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, sometimes I feel like I'm, I can meet locals where I live. I think we're going to go meet some locals on our uh, brewery tour tomorrow. Yeah, I hope so. I, I hope so, too. I'm getting too. sick of the company right here. I want to meet some new people. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys do want to um, find out some more, obviously, you can head over to the Zero to Travel podcast. It's split into two parts, our 16 strategies for meeting locals, some awesome advice there. If you want to get the show notes for this podcast or any other podcast that we've done, we're 140-some in now, so there's a lot of stuff there. You can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Also, we just did a new thing. If you guys want to grab a free copy of our top 20 ways to save money when traveling guide, we just put it into a beautiful little PDF file. You can get that by heading to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash free. So you can pick that up totally free. Just some really cool ways that we save money when we travel. I want to mention again, Tatuga Backpacks as our sponsor. We're super happy to have them as a sponsor. I'm really happy that you guys have loved your Tatugas and gotten some of those. Use the code EPOP, E-P-O-P to get 10% off your order if you do go and pick up a Tortuga backpack or their new Tortuga Air backpack, which is for shorter trips and a little more streamlined. Heth, we're giving these guys from the archives because as I mentioned, we're 140 some podcasts in. We're doing two a week now. So if you want more and you've already checked out the Zero to Travel podcast and you still want more, <laughs> here are a few of the ones that we recommend that if you like this podcast, you would also like. Yeah, if you're intrigued by the whole Balkan region you know of montenegro and croatia, croatia. i mean we Bosnia. went there for the first time this last spring and oh we just fell in love with it it was so great so episode 41 the hidden europe with francis tapon he wrote a book all about this area and it's split up by chapter the chapters are areas so you could just yeah they're countries go, yeah back and forth in between you know where you're going and kind of learn some more history, but also cool stories about that area. Yeah, one of my favorite books of all time. It's all 23 countries in Eastern Europe, and each chapter is a country. So I read about the Montenegro one before we went to Montenegro, and that's how we knew to look for that. It's his travel log plus the history of it all wrapped into one. And Very that's, informative. That's how we knew, like, look for this old church. And then we never, without that uh, having him on the podcast and him telling us that in his book, we never would have had that experience in Montenegro. We also recommend EPOP 40. So two episodes in a row, 41. And then 40 is our top 10 foods, accommodations, and experiences. The very first one that Heather came on and did with me. And we mentioned, again, some of our really fun experiences, most of them with when we were hanging out with locals. Jace, I know you will welcome in any EPOP listeners to the Zero to Travel podcast. Absolutely. Any and all welcome. <laughs> so if you guys want to hear those strategies, once again, go over to the Zero Travel Podcast. You can go to Zero2Travel.com. You can also find it on iTunes, Stitcher, however you're listening to this. Zero to Travel is there as well. Thank you very much. Yeah. And the reason we're in Boulder, as we mentioned, we're finishing up Location Indie. So if you guys are interested in that, LocationIndie.com, check it out. 
Jason and I and Heather makes a little guest appearance in some of our videos as do well. I? Really? Well, there's that part where you're filming us do, oh. doing goofy stuff. Yeah, and I'm like, can we please stop? Yeah. <laughs> so check that out, locationindie.com. Until next time, guys, I hope all your travels are great, that you're meeting locals, you're digging in deep and having these crazy experiences like we are. So until next time, happy, happy free, free travels. travels.